0: God.
1: Bill Preston, my name for publishing is William Preston. Nobody calls me William, but that's my that's my publishing name. For me, reading is a way to expand our empathy. I'm not original in saying that.
0: Bill Preston, literary science fictionist. The first episode with... Bill Preston started at episode 144. Go to the show archive to catch up. If you want to find Bill's work online, search for author William Preston and you will find his books. You know, let's talk a little bit more about why you write science fiction.
1: I, so here's this kind of Bradburyian thing: is I guess I don't think of myself as writing science fiction,
0: and the, I
1: find genre kind of problematic. I mean, when, again, I teach for 11th grade. I teach American literature, and. The heart of American literature is when it discovers itself in in the mid-19th century. And those writers, who were writers that Bradbury loved, I mean, Bradbury didn't read. One of my problems with him subsequently is he he tends to just read a lot of white male writers. But he he was a big fan of uh, Melville, Hawthorne, Poe. And, you know, what, what genre are these guys writing it? They're not thinking about that. They're just writing stories. I mean, Moby Dick, what is that? You know, it's got theology, it's got just insane mythic things happening, then it's got these uh, interstitial kind of scientific chapters and then there's this kind of operatic characters i mean what what is poe doing from one moment to the next hawthorne who's just all over the place elements are realistic but there are elements that are utterly fantastical and you read a uh, scarlet letter it's got this like giant supernatural event that occurs and there's like a giant a in the sky like, what how does that fit in <laughs> hawthorne just does not care uh. and you know that's American literature in the 19th century we get people I think I think I as a kid was taught you know American literature is this realistic stuff that comes out of like Hemingway and Steinbeck and that was that was an aberration that was a kind of that that move toward realism and that kind of insistence on realism—that was—that's not who we are, and that's not what a lot of storytelling is. And you look at South American literature with magical realism, that fantastical storytelling is really the, the root of storytelling and is really predominates in, in storytelling. First, you know, novel in the West is Don Quixote. And, you know, what's Cervantes' writing? I mean, yeah, it's an adventure, but he's also making fun of adventure. He's making fun of romance. His main character is is crazy. So anything can happen in his head. So, like, are there dragons in it? No, but he thinks there are. So, sure, there are dragons. There's a dragon in the story because he imagines one. Is there a giant? No, but he imagines one. And so Cervantes is able to kind of do whatever he wants within that narrative. So storytelling, I, I think, to narrow yourself in thinking about genre, not that it's, it's wrong, I mean, and there are people who do it and, and find it helpful, but uh, I just kind of, for me, I write whatever makes sense to me to write and I don't concern myself with thinking about it's this kind of story or that kind of story.
0: Where are you publishing yourself? I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to pin pigeonhole you in the marketplace then.
1: Well, so that, that's an interesting thing, is that, yes, my most of my fiction has appeared in Asimov Science Fiction magazine. Are all the stories that are in there science fictional stories? Uh, no. They uh, published a story two, three years ago, uh, Cabinet, which is a spin from the classic movie The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari what is The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari as a movie? You know, what what, what genre is it? Especially the way in which it's structured so that in the end, you're like, oh, no, it all took place inside someone's head. Like, so that, you know, it, it manages to have fantastical elements. At the same time, it's going like, no, no, we're really grounding and realistic in this story, you know. And so my story treats that as a realistic tale as a real story that happened and then spins out from it is there anything specifically fantastical or science fictional in my story i've got the the character who's the, uh, the somnambulist the sleeping man who seems to know things so okay that's a fantastical element the sequence of stories that that uh, asimov's published of mine the uh, my old man sequence of which there are four stories at this point you know that draws from pulp fiction tropes that are yeah somewhat science fictional somewhat fantastical but i think again they're all really grounded in humans experiencing unexpected things and unexplained things and so uh, asimov's has been uh, is where i put a lot of things that you could classify somewhere in the fantastical science fictional realm i've had things published elsewhere The story of mine that, um, gosh, 15 years ago or whatever, won the Zoetrope Prize for short fiction, Uh, A Crisis for Mr. Lion, is a um, a story that's in my head is a uh, children's book, an illustrated children's book, kind of like Richard Scarry characters, and in which I describe, the, the short story is me describing each page of the book. In this really kind of elevated language, and in which it takes seriously the notion that instead of the animals kind of just standing in for human behaviors, which is how children's funny animal books work, that the animals retain many of their own animalistic behaviors. And so i I, I had a lot of fun writing that. But what genre was that story? I have no I have no way of qualifying it. I, I can't tell you what genre that story is. It's just its own thing. When I sent it off to that contest, I was told at a certain point that it was in the top 10 finishers for the contest, and they hadn't yet chosen the winner. And once it got into the top 10, I had a really, perhaps absurd, amount of confidence that it was going to maybe win, because I knew no one else wrote anything like this thing. Uh, I don't know what it is, and so therefore I'm sure nobody else did anything like this. And then when it won, I, I I I was surprised. But I was also kind of like, yeah, uh, uh, of course, because they didn't know what, you know, th- this, what they couldn't compare it with anything. And so I felt really good about that.
0: Cool. Yeah, no, I I'm glad you brought that uh, word up. That's a tough word to get into. So congratulations on that. Thanks. Wow. A so what I'm go. hearing is you like to write fairly experimental literature and it tends to land well with the science fiction marketplaces. Fair enough?
1: I don't know that I call... Experimental isn't. Uh, well, I guess I wouldn't because again, I feel, um, and I've read things that are deeply experimental. I've read like you know, Rob Grier or, or 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 Joyce in his more experimental uh, times. Barth, Barthelme, you know, modern, postmodern writers. But I have to say that's my brain doesn't work like that. I don't think I'm. I'm I'm much more simple. Again, it goes back to kind of the Bradbury. Like I can tell a simple story, and I spend time constructing how a story is going to work uh, and and thinking about how to put it together. But people doing really wildly experimental things, uh, I, I I don't I don't know how they do it. I think I I also feel that I'm not creative in the way. I'm not sure that many writers are really now that I've, I'm saying it, but creative in that kind of ex nihilo way, where you're like, people are just coming up with stuff that, you, like, where did you get that? What a what an amazing concept for me, but I think it's true for many writers. We I springboard off of other things I've read you know, so I read this and it makes me think of this, or I read the way this story was written and it makes me think of writing a story that maybe uses a similar structure or that plays with that structure. So a lot of my stuff is really, I've read something and then I want to take something from that and do something else with it. I had this experience, too, at school or in meetings or something. I'm not the person who sits down and maybe has a great idea, but I'll listen to a bunch of other people's ideas, and then I'll say, oh, oh, you know, here's where my brain just took that, but I need, I really need input, which I think, you know, we, we probably all do. Yeah.
0: However you found Sci-Fi Thoughts, be it iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other podcast aggregation services, if you've enjoyed the show, go ahead and do us a favor. Go to wherever you get this podcast and leave us a review, even clicking a few stars. And this will help out the show in many ways. Go visit the show notes and you'll find goodies like Bill Preston's website on Amazon and his Twitter link. So check it out. Where are the show notes? The show notes are in your podcast player or if you use your computer, it'll be at the same website where you downloaded this MP3. Next episode, more Bill Preston. How does being a a science fiction author or an author like you change how you teach? I want kids to see how cool it is what the
1: writer did. You know, so I want them to read the story and like enjoy it as readers. And I always say, I hope you enjoy this story. You know, I want you to, I want you to enjoy it and appreciate it. But I also want you to appreciate like stuff the writer's doing that you might not really immediately recognize. I I want you to get into, like, how did the writer think of this?